Genesis chapter 25. I promise I will meet you there. It's, it's pastor's plan to be back next week. We have to finish preaching through the book of Genesis today. <laughs> There's no meaningful football games on, so verse by verse we go. <laughs> I hope y'all are ready. No, let's... Um, let me pray for us real quick this morning. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to be in your word. Pray that over the next few moments you would open the eyes of our hearts. God, be with us. Help us to worship you better. Help us to apply your word to our lives and respond appropriately. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. By way of review... Galatians chapter 3, um, beginning in verse 23, it says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And we started off this adventure a few weeks ago by kind of taking a look at our spiritual portfolios, if you will. And we discovered that all of you need to give me more money. No. <laughs> we discovered that you're rich is what we discovered, right? Heirs and heiresses, in fact. Right? Last week, we looked at a beautiful picture painted by the Lord, a picture of the Holy Spirit's work in the world, drawing out a bride unto his son, right? drawing out a bride unto the Father's only son, Jesus. And the picture of this God painted in the Old Testament with the story of Abraham's servant, Eliezer, being sent in the, into the land of Mesopotamia, Abraham's uh, homeland, to draw out a Gentile bride for his master's son. And sometimes we see details in Scripture. If you're anything like me, right, you get like maybe you squint a little, <laughs> tilt your head a little, and you just pass it off as happenstance. But listen, God told Timothy that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And because of this, all is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of right, in righteousness. All Scripture, every piece, every stroke of the brush contributes to the, the painting. Right? Even the things that seem to be the most minuscule, minute details that, that really make no sense, right? They all give life and meaning that otherwise could go unseen. And so we saw that after Eliezer swore an oath unto his master Abraham, we saw in Genesis 24, verse 10, it says, The servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. The Lord blessed his mission, right? Because his mission was important. It was imperative for Abraham's offspring, Isaac, is the next link in a series of blessings that would ultimately lead to the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it is upon Eliezer's return with Isaac's bride-to-be that we read in Genesis 24, verse 63. It says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide, 
He lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. Right? When Rebekah, a type for what, was, uh, what will become the church, right? The mother of Christianity, if you will. When she sees her future husband off in the distance, Isaac, right? A type of Jesus. When she sees him in the distance, we're told that she gets off of the train of ten camels. Right? The camels that had carried her to her future husband. And what a wonderful illustration. I don't know if you caught it. Maybe you missed it. Galatians 23, or Galatians 3, sorry, in verse 23, we just read it. It says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, which is summarized often in Scripture by the Ten Commandments. It says, we were shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster bringing us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. It says, but after faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. It was the law and our inability to obtain any sort of righteousness through the law that highlights our need for Jesus inside of our hearts. Right? Thus, the law taught us of our sinfulness. That's why Paul stated in Romans 7, verse 7, he said he had not known sin but for the law. Thus, the law, the Ten Commandments, brought us unto the bridegroom, just as the camels brought Rebekah to Isaac. But once we have seen Jesus for ourselves, Rebekah lighted off the camels. Genesis 24, 60, verse 67, it says, Isaac bought her into his mother's tent, mother Sarah's tent, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Right? Eliezer, the, the faithful servant of Father Abraham, has fulfilled his oath to his master. He's bought home a bride for Isaac. Right? And for Isaac, it's love at first sight. We're told that he took Rebekah and she became his wife. Genesis 25, beginning in verse 7, it says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, a hundred and threescore and fifteen years. And then Abraham gave up the ghost, and he died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered unto his people. Abraham has died. He's buried with his wife, Sarah, in a cave that happens to be in a piece of property, the only piece of property he ever owned. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him. Right, But he died still trusting in the Lord that he was going to fulfill his promises through his descendants. Isaac is now the patriarch of the family. Abraham is father of the faith. Right, and he serves as a picture for us of Father God. Abraham's wife, Sarah, is a picture of Israel, right? Israel is often likened to a wife for God the Father. Their son, Isaac, a picture of Jesus, right? Jesus is the son of the Father and brought into this world through Israel. In Genesis 22, we read Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, a powerful, powerful picture of God the Father making a sacrifice of his only son Jesus on Calvary. In Genesis 23, Sarah dies. And in a similar way, Israel was removed from their homeland soon after Jesus died. In fact, they were kicked out in 70 AD. Then last week in Genesis 24, a bride is found for Isaac. We saw this amazing picture 
of how the Holy Spirit finds a bride, is in the world drawing out a bride for Jesus Christ. Isaac married Rebecca, and she serves as a picture of the Christian church. Christians are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And that brings us to Genesis 25. And right at the heart of this story, all right, right at the heart is, is a picture of the next generation. So where do Isaac and Rebecca's kids fit into this picture? Verse 19, and these are the generations of Isaac. Abraham's son, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian, of Padanaram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in the womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that, his brother came out, and his hand took a hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the Lord had declared his plan to them from the very start, right? We saw that the Lord, God has a good plan. It is a proactive plan. It is not reactive. He knew the end from the beginning, thus he declared it to him from the start. The younger is chosen to lead. Right? Jacob was born second, but he would become Israel, the father of the nation. Rebecca pictures Christians, and inside of a Rebecca, a war wages. Right? For, for us, a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And when you become a Christian, that battle begins. Right? Jesus told Nicodemus in John um, chapter 3, in verse 3, Jesus answered, he said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on to say three verses later in verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. A person can be alive physically and be very dead spiritually. Right, you can be alive physically in the flesh, but yet dead spiritually. A person who has been born again by God's Spirit is thus made alive spiritually. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians um, 2, verse 1, he says, You hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. But listen, just because you have been born again doesn't mean that you are now going to cease to exist in the flesh. Right? They are now both alive inside of you. Right? They are competing forces, which everybody knows causes internal conflict. Paul elaborates on this conflict of the flesh versus spirit more extensively than any other New Testament writer. Right? And in his writings, the flesh stands for the natural desires of a person right, operating apart from God. It is what, uh, what we will, what is inside of us naturally. It's what we're born with, thanks to Adam. A person who has not been raised to life spiritually is still in the flesh. To Paul, a person who is spiritual is one who has been born by the Spirit. 
Even if that person who will occasionally live, uh, fail to live up to that faith or that reality, right? He warned the Galatians, are you so foolish after beginning by the means of the Spirit that you're now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? He said that in chapter 3, verse 3. He says in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Just plainly, Esau is a picture of the flesh. Born first, just as the flesh is born first inside of us. Jacob, a picture of the spirit in us. Born second, yet destined to rule. Verse 27, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So although they're identical twins, in fact, it seems that they are polar opposites. They don't look alike. They don't act alike. Esau grows up hairy, red, rough, rugged, a man's man, if you will. A hard worker in the fields, we're told, a skilled hunter, loved by his father. Jacob's a little more boring, if you will, a plain man, <laughs> a homebody, probably a little bit cleaner cut, better smelling. He was loved by his mother. Verse 29, and Jacob sod pottage, that's a really odd King James way of saying he was cooking some stew. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? So in order to really understand this story, in order to really understand what's going on, you have to understand what a birthright is. The birthright is Esau's right as the firstborn to become the patriarch of the family once his father Isaac dies. It would have included a double portion of his inheritance. Esau would have then taken responsibility for the family, not only their welfare, but their spiritual welfare as well. It should have meant everything to Esau, but right now, he's not thinking about that. He's been in the field, he's hungry, and he's willing to give up everything for a quick bite. The flesh is always hungry for more, never satisfied. And it's that hunger that makes the flesh foolish. Lust, greed, selfish ambition. It's always about me, what I want. I'm about to die. What good is my wife? What good is my family, my job, my ministry, my calling? The things that people sacrifice for a bowl of stew. Or an image on a screen or a little green piece of paper is mind-boggling. Esau gave up his birthright, and this is huge. His entire future is wrapped up in it. The flesh will always trade anything in the future what is in the right now. Verse 33, and Jacob said, swear unto me this day. And he swear unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. So what happened to Esau? 
How did he get to this point? How did we get here? How did he get to this point of compromise in his life? And I see two things. These are two things I want to point out to you. The first is this. He was out in the field for far too long. There's nothing wrong with work. You understand me? We, we, we misunderstand. We, we wrongly think that, that work is a byproduct of, of sin's curse. That's not biblical. That's wrong, in fact. Fruitless labor and toil is a direct result of sin. Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord took man and he put him into the garden to dress it and to keep it, to work it. God placed Adam in the garden. Right? There's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with taking pride in your work. Right? There's something satisfying about being able to look back on what you've accomplished at the end of a long day. Right? God himself, he looked back on creation and he said, it is good. If you can work, I think you ought to. I think it's a, a biblical principle we find all throughout the New Testament. But what you shouldn't do is stay so long that it keeps you from having proper rest and nourishment, both physically and spiritually. Listen, I learned long ago you should never make decisions when you are hungry or when you are angry. It's also probably a good idea to never go to the grocery store when you're hungry. That's how you end up with a bunch of stuff that's no good for you. Because hunger lowers your standards. In 2019, Meg and I, we had the opportunity to take a, like a survey missions trip to Guatemala. And we were there, we were just, um, we were there with several youth pastors, some other representatives, some men worldwide, and we were trying to see if this could be an opportunity for us to take some teenagers on a missions trip. And so we traveled to a medical clinic, and we traveled to several of the feeding centers that Mana has um, throughout the country. And one such feeding center is right in the middle of Guatemala City. It's actually in the landfill. Right, and the landfill is really just a large ravine that they've begun to dump trash in some time ago. Right, and as the ravine fills up with trash, they compact it as they go, and they just pave over it. And so it's really hard to put it into any sort of words that really do it any justice or bring it to life. But there is a community of people that live at this landfill. And I hope we can throw up a few pictures um, that I managed to take. I didn't take a lot while I was there because I, I didn't want to feel like a tourist and I didn't want to be taking pictures while we're supposed to be working. But as they pave over the trash, what happens is then they then build shacks from the garbage that they find at the landfill. And so what you see on the right is the housing in this community. It's actually about three miles of row after row of these shacks that they've built from the trash. And with a makeshift kitchen and two very faithful women, they've set up the Mana Feeding Center there at the landfill. Kids can come and they can get one meal a day and they can hear about Jesus. And so as we're there and we're helping, at this feeding center we saw kids of all different ages. And just the only way I really know how to put it into words, they had varying mutations. Some had lost all their hair on their heads and arms. And some were very scaly, rough-looking skin, but almost all were undersized. The effects from living conditions and from ingesting garbage. 
See, when you're hungry, you're willing to do things that you would never dream of doing otherwise. Hunger lowers your standards. Truth be told, I wouldn't have eaten the food that we served kids that day. I saw the makeshift kitchen. I saw the conditions that it was prepared under. I saw the finished product. I was blessed enough to wake up and eat breakfast that day, as I did the day before, and the day before that, and the day before that. I wasn't starving. Right, but these kids, they were hungry. They were malnourished. They didn't think twice about it. In fact, they looked forward to it. When in fact, they're willing to eat garbage that people have thrown away, and they did so without a second thought. You know what? I wake up every day and I read the Word of God. And I pray every single day. You know why? Because I'm more spiritual than you, that's why. If you knew me, you'd know how good of a joke that really was. John 6, verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I know that when you're spiritually malnourished, there's nothing that you won't put in to try to fill that void. Because your appetite has a way of overriding your intelligence. The appetite of the flesh is the master of exaggeration. Oh, I have to have it or I'm going to die. Right? That's what Esau said in verse 32. I'm going to die. What good is my birthright? Right? I would die if I don't have my phone. I can't possibly live another day without her. I I have to watch it. I have to see it. You're not going to die. Esau walked in and he'll walk out when he's done. But he'll leave without the inheritance that was rightfully his. He traded away his God-giving blessings for a pot of instant gratification. He traded away his portion of the Father's riches for a moment of fleeting satisfaction. He traded away his future for a bowl of soup. And listen, if that sounds ridiculous, that's because it is, right? But how many do we know that have traded away their wives for an image on a screen, right? How many people do we know that have traded their families, the precious time they'll never get back for tiny pieces of green and blue paper, or the countless that have traded away their kids' futures for a bottle, in our hunger, we trade away the promises of God to fulfill our appetite, which is never truly satisfied. That's why I wake up and I read the Word of God every single day. That's why I pray every single day. That's why I make worship a priority every single day that I can. I'm here because I can't afford not to be. Why do you think the Bible tells us in Matthew 4 that Satan waited until Jesus had fasted 40 days until they tempted him in the wilderness? Listen, Jesus was all God, but he was also all man. Satan knew that after 40 days, those rocks was going to start to look pretty good. Why do you think Jacob waited and he propositioned Esau until he felt that he was starving? Listen, he didn't come to him at breakfast right after he was eaten. Hey, uh, uh, bro, why don't you sell me that birthright for some, some lentil stew? Big bro would have gave him a wedgie and told him to kick rocks. Esau couldn't see clearly because he had an empty stomach, and neither can we. 
That's why David declared in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in thy heart. Have I put it in? Have I ingested every day that I might not sin against thee? The first issue Esau had is he had been in the field for far too long. The second was that he looked to his brother instead of his father. Verse 29, and Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee. Jacob's nothing in the hierarchy of the family at this point. Nothing but a mama's boy at that. Right? Nothing more than a younger brother. Look back at Genesis 24, verse 35. This is Eliezer speaking of Abraham to Rebekah's family. He says, the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. He has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him hath he given all that he had. Unto him, unto Isaac, he gave all that he hath. God blessed Abraham greatly. He was rich. He had other sons. Ishmael was, in fact, his firstborn. All right, and in chapter 25, we see that after Sarah dies, he remarries and he has more kids with his new wife. That's why Genesis 25, verse 5, reassures us that Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Isaac was now rich. He had all the authority, all the silver, all the gold, all the flocks, all the servants, all the power to instruct and direct those under him, those within his household as he saw fit. Verse 28, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Not only is his father rich, but we are told that his father loved him. He didn't have to sell his birthright to fill the void deep within his stomach. All he had to do, go to his father who was able to provide, who was willing to provide all that he had needed and then some. His problem wasn't that Jacob was always scheming and lying. That's what liars are going to do. Do you understand? They're going to lie. That wasn't his problem. His problem was that he went too long in the field without any real nourishment. His appetite has exaggerated his problem. And instead of going to the one who had the the power and the authority and the means to take care of his issue, he went to his brother instead. To say that God is rich seems to me a gross understatement. Yet I don't have the words to properly relay his wealth. Yet Asaph, the chief musician, he tries in Psalms 50 when he wrote, about God stating that um, every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all of the, uh, the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will I eat of the flesh of bulls and drink of the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee. And thou shalt glorify thee. David said in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell in it. 
John the Baptist declared in John um, chapter 3, verse 35, that the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Jesus himself declared after he rose from the dead in Matthew 28, he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Thus Paul, speaking of Jesus, stated in Colossians 1, verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him all things are created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And all things might have preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. God our Father is rich. He is the creator, the, the possessor, the sustainer of things both in heaven and in earth. He loves you. He stopped at nothing to prove that to you. He spared not even his only son, Jesus, sacrificing him on the cross to satisfy the debt that our sin incurred. Jesus died. He rose again on the third day, conquering death and hell. Right? God the Father then grants all power and authority to God the Son. He is the bread of life from which flows rivers of living water. Eat and you shall never be hungry. Drink and you shall never thirst. Yes. Ephesians 3 verse 19, he says, To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Listen, quit trying to fill the void by your own means. It's just going to keep you out in the field for far too long. Instead, come to Jesus so that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Jesus declared in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Listen, he's not a way, he is the way. Speaking of, of Esau, the writer of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 17, he says, For you know that in afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. There is no hope for the flesh outside of Jesus Christ. Isaiah said that in and of itself, even the good things that we do are but filthy rags. Jesus proclaimed in Matthew 7. He says, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name we've cast out devils, and in thy name have done wonderful works. He goes on to say, then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, that work, ye that work iniquity. Right? The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, yet yeah, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it goes on to tell us in Romans 6.23 that there's a wage or a payment for that sin, right? And the, wage, and the wages of sin is death. Right? If you've not been born again, if you've not been born again this morning, listen, if you haven't been receptive to anything else I've said, if you haven't heard anything I've said, please listen to the last part of that verse. Please hear this. The last part of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've not been born again, listen, I pray that the only question on your mind this morning is what must I do to be saved? 
Paul and Silas told the, the prison keeper in Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Jesus proclaimed that God loved the world so much he gave his only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you haven't been born again, man, I pray that you would do just that. It's the only thing that will fill that void. Right? If you'll just call out upon him, don't worry about the right words to say. If you call out on him with a sincere and repentant heart, the Bible tells us he is faithful and just to forgive. You say, Travis, man, I have no idea even where to start. I've never prayed. Listen, when this message is over, meet me down here. You meet me down here. You say, I need more. I'm close. I need more information. I'll take the Bible. I'd love to show you how you can know that you can know that you have a home in heaven. Don't leave here without beginning that relationship with Jesus Christ. Christian, you can end up trading what God wants to give you for a bowl of soup. If we're not careful and we're not diligent, we can exchange the ultimate for the instant. Trust me when I tell you that the devil is slow cooking the death of God's highest plans for your life. You don't want what's in that crock pot. The moment you begin to let yourself become spiritually famished is when he propositions. Hunger lowers your standards. Best go at it with a full stomach and with a full heart. Take time every single day to read his word. Take time every day to pray. Buy up the opportunities to be at worship, to be at Bible study. Fill yourself what's, with what's best. You have no room for what's less. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.